Hello, this is Chris Allen, the managing partner of Black Solicitors. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast is going to break with tradition and is going to focus purely on business rather than on sport, local history and literature, as per the other episodes in the series. Over the last two weeks, I've recorded two podcasts, which I now want to share with you. The title of those podcasts are What Are You Going to Do When the Job Retention Scheme Ends and the Furlough Money Stop Coming? Part one was recorded two weeks ago, and part two was recorded this morning. We've put both of those short podcasts together, and I hope if you're a business owner, they'll be useful for you and will trigger and stimulate some thoughts as to how your business can meet the challenges ahead. Thanks again for listening, and good luck with everything you do. Hello there, thank you for listening. My name's Chris Allen, I'm the Managing Partner of Black Solicitors. Let me start this podcast by wishing you and your family good health and I hope that you are coping as well as you can in these difficult times. The last four weeks have been unique in terms of the challenges that businesses are facing and much of the advice we've been giving has been very reactive to different scenarios, starting off with the payment of SSP, layoff rights and more recently, of course, the furlough arrangements and clarification of that furlough scheme. I don't think any of us could have anticipated the developments of the last few weeks in terms of employment law, and we've received an unprecedented number of inquiries about these different scenarios. You'll have noticed, hopefully, that we've increased our social media presence and e-shot activity to try and assist you where possible and give you a steer with these new developments. There's now an opportunity to look ahead and anticipate the next series of challenges. I hope this podcast will stimulate your thoughts on how your business can meet those challenges going ahead. So the title of this podcast is What Are You Going to Do When the Job Retention Scheme Ends and the Furlough Monies Stop Coming? Most businesses seem to have taken advantage of the Job Retention Scheme to some extent. And in this podcast, I'm going to use an example of a business with 100 members of staff where 40 of them have been placed on furlough leave. And let's say that each of those staff is on an average salary of £25,000. If they were placed on furlough on the 1st of April, then in the months of April and May, there'll be an overall saving of approximately £166,000 before we involve national insurance. Whilst the job retention scheme was deemed to have commenced on the 1st of March, the first date you can actually apply for payment from the government is the 20th of April. And the government has already confirmed that no payments are actually anticipated to be made before the 30th of April. If the job retention scheme ends, as predicted on the 31st of May 2020, then on the 1st of June 2020, the hypothetical 40 members of staff should be returning to work on full pay. Most businesses are not expecting to immediately return to full capacity within the first three months of the job retention scheme ending. It follows, therefore, that turnover is likely to be reduced and net profits are destined to follow, as a major overhead, i.e. the salaries, will have been reinstated. So what are the options for that business? Option one is do nothing. Doing nothing isn't always a bad thing, of course. If the job retention scheme has done its bit for the business and has helped weather the storm in the short term, 
particularly if turnover is likely to return quickly for this business, then the business owner may wish to adopt this option. Staff will obviously appreciate the quick return to normality, and if they are aware that turnover and capacity will increase quickly to normal levels, they probably will expect it. Option two is to invoke contractual layoff and short-time working provisions. Now, as you may be aware, in this day and age, not many employers actually have a contractual layoff short-time working provision in their contracts of employment. It was really thought it was something from the past. These clauses, of course, got a lot of attention before the job retention scheme was announced on the 20th of March. In short, if you have a clause in your contract of employment, then you can rely on it to instigate layoffs and short-term working. This obviously will substantially reduce your outgoings in terms of salaries. But it is really a temporary measure, and staff are unlikely to remain on those terms indefinitely and whilst remaining committed to the cause. Option three is to agree ongoing pay cuts with your staff pending a return to acceptable turnover levels. If the major item of expense on your profit and loss account is salaries, then you'll need to reduce the salary costs immediately once the job retention scheme ends. Of course, any unilateral reduction in salary is a fundamental breach of contract, which can trigger unfair dismissal claims. But as we've seen in recent weeks, when a pay cut is tabled as an alternative to mass redundancies, it is often accepted by the staff. It's open to you to offer pay cuts or indeed pay deferrals, Bear in mind that the latter will have to be paid one day, despite being more palatable to the employees at the time. And the other truth about pay cuts is to make a real difference to expenditure, pay cuts need to be substantial. Option four, consider and implement a compulsory redundancy procedure to reduce headcount. And here is the crux of the issue. If turnover levels are not expected to get back to normal within a realistic period and the job retention scheme is not extended beyond the 31st of May 2020, then we anticipate many employers will be looking at redundancies as the difficult but unavoidable solution to the medium-term cash flow problems. One of the challenges employers face is ensuring the process is dealt with correctly, from identifying a pool of individuals to selection criteria, to dealing with the consultation process, and indeed making sure that you get the financial consequences correct once you've made staff redundant. And let's not forget, there is always an appeal process. It's probably over 10 years since many employers carried out a redundancy procedure, and the selection process is not as straightforward as creating a list of staff for furlough leave. A good example relates to consultation. If an employer intends to make anywhere between 20 and 99 members of staff redundant, then a consultation period cannot be less than 30 days. And indeed, if an employer intends to make more than 100 people redundant, then the consultation period cannot be less than 45 days. Option five, offer a voluntary redundancy package to staff with option four, i.e. the compulsory redundancy process, as a fallback. Option five is more expensive, 
as you're offering an enhanced redundancy package to staff, for example, another month's pay on top of notice entitlement and statutory redundancy entitlement as a starting point, in return for not having to go through an often painful and lengthy redundancy process. The offer is made to staff in the clear knowledge that a compulsory redundancy process will follow if satisfactory levels of volunteers are not found. Successful volunteers would be invited to execute a settlement agreement, waiving any claims in the future against the employer. The beauty, if there is one, of a voluntary redundancy process is the fact that you as employers are not obliged to accept applications. This allows you to refuse an application from key members of staff. In the short term, option five is expensive in terms of cash, but saves huge amounts of management time and reduces the likelihood of claims in the future to nil. So to conclude, the announcement of the job retention scheme on the 20th of March gave employers a short breathing space and avoided mass redundancies across the country in April 2020. And I think we can all agree that's been a lifeline in giving everybody some time to consider their businesses and gather their thoughts for the challenges ahead. However, with the bank holiday behind us and another payday looming and the first furlough monies not being available before the 30th of April, I do believe that employers now need to focus on the future and plan what steps they're going to take to ensure that they have sufficient cash flow to survive not just through the next three months, but through the entirety of 2020. Whether or not the government extend the job retention scheme or not, it will have a natural lifespan, and one day those funds will stop coming. The employment team at Blacks are ready to assist your business as and when needed. What is now clear is that time is of the essence. Preparation is key, and whilst we don't know the full extent of what may happen, Clearly, there are going to be big changes for every employer in the country. With one eye on the calendar, I hope that you found this podcast useful. And as I said at the start, I hope it's triggered some thoughts as to what you will do when the job retention scheme ends and those furlough monies stop coming. Thank you for listening. Our contact details are on the cover email, but all details of the Blacks team can be found at lawblacks.com as well. Thank you and good luck. Hello, I'm Chris Allen, the managing partner of Black Solicitors. We're a law firm based in Leeds, West Yorkshire. Thank you for listening to this podcast. As a starting point, I'd like to wish you good health and I hope that your families are also in good health. Two weeks ago, I released the first part of this podcast and that was well received for the fact it was looking ahead and challenging businesses to look in the mirror and anticipate the effects of the cash flow challenges ahead. Up to that point, much of the advice we had been given had been very reactive to scenarios. We'd been given advice about SSP, layoff rights, and then of course the furlough system, and indeed the clarification that followed from the government. Since then, the questions we're being asked and the advice we're giving have changed. And there is, understandably, a greater need to know how the options I outlined in the last podcast could affect a business. As with part one, I hope this podcast will stimulate your thoughts on how your business can meet those challenges. So the heading of this podcast is, 
What are you going to do when the job retention scheme ends and the furlough monies stop coming? Part 2. So since part one, what do we know about the job retention scheme and furlough leave generally? Well, we now know the following. We know the scheme was extended to the 30th of June 2020, which was welcomed by most businesses. We know that holiday entitlement accrues during the furlough period. We know that the working time regulations allow employers to require staff to take a proportion of holiday entitlement during a furlough leave period but that also triggers a need to top up the salary to full pay. We know that redundancy consultation can take place during the furlough leave. We know that notice of termination can be provided to staff during the furlough leave period. And we also know that the first furlough payments have been made to businesses within a week of the applications being lodged. All interesting but in the last podcast, I made the following observation. Most businesses are not expecting to immediately return to full capacity within the first three months of the job retention scheme ending. It follows, therefore, that turnover will be reduced and net profits are destined to follow as a major overhead, i.e. salaries, will be reinstated from the 1st of July 2020. To recap, the options I mentioned in podcast one are as follows. Option one, do nothing and revert back to paying all your staff full wages. Option two, invoke contractual layoff and short-time working provisions if indeed your contracts contain those provisions. Option three, agree ongoing pay cuts with your staff pending a return to acceptable turnover levels. Option four, consider and implement a compulsory redundancy process to reduce headcount and thus cost. Option 5, with option 4 as a slightly unpalatable alternative, offer a voluntary redundancy package to staff. Perhaps not surprisingly, it's options 4 and 5 that I've been asked to focus on in this podcast. So let's look at those again. Option 4, compulsory redundancy procedures. A redundancy scenario arises when a business closes, relocates such a distance to make an everyday commute difficult, or the business simply needs less people to do the work that it has. That last scenario may be where many employers believe they will be in July and August of 2020, as work levels are reduced. There is a common misconception amongst a lot of employers that making staff redundant is an easy way to reduce headcount. Redundancy, after all, is one of the reasons recognised in the Employment Rights Act as being a fair reason to dismiss. I take a slightly different view and think that making people redundant is possibly the hardest way to reduce headcount. Why? Well, there's a lot of factors to consider. Number one, the pool of individuals who might be affected by redundancy needs to be identified. Favourite staff and family members should not be automatically overlooked for that process. Two, that does not simply mean that you turn your list of furloughed staff into a list of redundant staff. Three, consultation, be individual or group, needs to be undertaken with all members of the pool. You cannot cherry-pick or leave people out of a consultation process. Four, subject to numbers involved, you may need to appoint employee representatives or engage union representatives. 
Five, the consultation needs to be meaningful and not a box-ticking exercise. It's time-consuming and it isn't easy. Six, consideration must be given to alternatives to redundancy that are put forward by employees. Seven, selection must be reasonable, with a scoring matrix being the most common way of assessing staff. The criteria used to assess should be objective, i.e. skills-based, and not subjective, i.e. I just don't really like their attitude. Eight, redundant staff will receive notice, entitlement, which they may have to work, and a statutory redundancy payment, and that's based on year service and the level of salary. And nine, those selected may appeal, which is, of course, another process for the employer to deal with. So as you can see, plenty of scope for the inexperienced business owner to slip up on in terms of procedures. Why is that a problem? Procedural failings are likely to result in the dismissal being deemed unfair. And that, of course, leads in turn to compensation claims. So how do you avoid that outcome? Let's start with planning the process carefully and don't rush it just because it's a bit awkward. Be transparent with staff as to the extent of the salary savings you need to make and the circumstances that have created the redundancy scenario. Ensure that the consultation is genuine and considered and that the minimum periods of consultation are complied with and that the scoring matrix is fair and is understood. And don't forget about that peel process. The second area I've been asked to expand on is option five, the voluntary redundancy scheme. This involves offering staff an opportunity to accept an enhanced financial package in return for voluntarily leaving their employment. Again, open and transparent conversations are recommended. The financial terms will need to exceed notice entitlement and statutory redundancy entitlements, needless to say, and that increases the outlay for the business in the short term. But it potentially avoids the need for a long and often tortuous compulsory redundancy process, provided, of course, you get sufficient numbers applying, and avoids appeals and avoids the risk of tribunal claims in the future. You might take the view that therefore saves huge amounts of management time. So why is there less risk of a claim? The answer is because in return for the enhanced financial terms, the employer will offer the employee the opportunity to execute a settlement agreement in return for receiving those additional monies. The real beauty of a voluntary scheme is the fact you don't have to accept an application by a member of staff. Full stop. So, if you have an IT team of one, you probably don't want that person applying for voluntary redundancy and leaving the business. So in those circumstances, you can reject that application. What actually happens in practice is that the staff who believe they may well be made redundant via a compulsory scheme often apply for voluntary redundancy. As brutal as that sounds, that's probably a win-win scenario for everybody. So to conclude, it isn't clear yet how the lockdown will be lifted or the effect that will have on businesses or the timescale of that. The furlough payments are guaranteed until the 30th of June 2020, but thereafter, businesses may have to deal with their cash flow challenges without further input from the government. I hope, as most of you do, I'm sure, 
that the country can avoid wide-scale redundancies. If redundancies are unavoidable for your business, then I hope this podcast helps you to create a strategy going forward that ensures the continuation of your business. If your business survives, you can always rebuild and recruit more people in the future. The employment team at Blacks are here and ready to assist your business as and when needed. What is clear, of course, is that time is now of the essence. Decisions about the future cannot be put off indefinitely. Thank you for listening. Our contact details are on the cover email, but all details about the Blacks team can be found at lawblacks.com. Thank you for listening and good luck.